Good afternoon, everyone. According to Scripture, God chose the people of Israel, that is, the people descended from the patriarch Israel as his chosen people. The people of Israel had a special and privileged relationship with God as a result of being chosen in that way. And we read in Psalm 105, verse 6, Psalm 105, verse 6, O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. In a previous sermon, I addressed the question of why did God choose Israel? And in today's sermon, I want to continue exploring that subject. To review, we learned in the previous sermon that beginning with the first humans, God created, there was rebellion against God and they would not obey God's commandments. As human beings multiplied on the face of the earth, their sins multiplied and finally, God decided to put an end to the unmitigated evil and violence that had engulfed the world. Noah was commissioned to proclaim a warning to mankind, which he did for 120 years, but no one would listen. So God sent a flood on the earth, destroying all but eight human beings who had been alive when the flood came. But again, as human beings repopulated the earth, they joined together in rebellion against God under an evil and powerful ruler called Nimrod in the Bible. Because of rebellion and subsequent evil, the population of the earth had been destroyed by a flood. But the rebellion continued after the flood and became an organized system at Babylon. Consequently, God confused their tongues and scattered them abroad on the face of the earth. Out of rebellious mankind, God eventually chose Abraham and revealed himself to him. Abraham proved faithful and obedient to God's commandments, and it was through Abraham and his descendants that God would work to redeem mankind. God's promises of favor and redemption were passed down through his son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob, or Israel, who had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel through their descendants. The faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a starting point for those who are to be chosen by God. As a physical nation, God chose the descendants of Israel because of the faith of their forebears, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Eventually, the Israelites had become enslaved in Egypt, but God intervened to free them in the, and in the wilderness, he entered into a covenant with them. And he told them, in Exodus 19, verse 5, Exodus 19, verse 5, Now therefore, if you in, will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so they agreed to the terms of the covenant, and God brought them to the land of Canaan, which he intended to give them as an inheritance. But we saw that the previous inhabitants of the land of Canaan, the Canaanites, were to be driven out because of their wickedness, not because the children of Israel were righteous, because the children of Israel had not been faithful to the covenant they had agreed to in the wilderness. They had repeatedly rebelled against God. And so, we read in Deuteronomy 9 and verse 6, Deuteronomy 9 and verse 6, Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. When God gave the Israelites the land of Canaan, he intended that they would walk according to the covenant that they had made with him, and in so doing that they would be an example to the other nations of the world. As we read in Psalm 105, Psalm 105, beginning with verse 43, he brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles and they inherited the labor of the nations that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. 
Notice he brought them into the land and he gave them that inheritance that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Not only for their good, but as an example to others as well. And for, for the good of the entire earth, really. As we will see as we proceed. However, in Deuteronomy 1, Moses rehearsed what had happened in the wilderness as the people of Israel rebelled against God's commandments, where he said, Deuteronomy 1 and verse 10, beginning in verse 10, it says, The Lord your God has multiplied you, and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, The thing which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens and officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible witness, wilderness, which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me well, so I took 12 of your men one man from each tribe and I, and uh, they departed and went up to the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us and they brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us unto the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and the cloud by day. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of, the, the men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to give their fathers, except Caleb the son of uh, Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly fo followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes, saying, Even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause 
Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it. So because they refused to obey God, none of those of that generation were allowed to go into the promised land except uh, for, for uh, Joshua and Caleb. God addressed them through Moses as they were about to enter the promised land. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. He said, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God and the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delights, delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. So what God wanted the people of Israel to do, as we saw just uh, stated here, was to go into the land and obey his commandments and behave in a way that is godly and does not uh, harm others. In fact, does good for others. However, Satan had deceived the whole world. The nations of the world were practicing idolatry, worshiping false gods, and committing things that were abominable in God's sight. Concerning the great Babylonish system of deception, God's word says in Revelation 12 and verse 9, Revelation 12 and verse 9, by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And so they were at that time and have been throughout history. Behind this system of deception is the chief adversary of God, Satan the devil. He is the instigator of deception and rebellion against God. Of him, it is said that he deceives the whole world. In Revelation 12, verse 9. So all the nations were deceived. The whole world was deceived in following not the path of obedience to God, but the path of rebellion against God. The people of Israel were to follow a separate path, a different path not like the path the, the other nations were following. Deuteronomy 10, beginning with verse 12, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12, God said, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear your, the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord, to love the, the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments? He said, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. He chose their descendants after them, you above all people, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. So they were to walk in a different path, the path of holiness. And they were specifically told not to adopt the customs of heathen nations that is, the nations practicing idolatry and walking in ways contrary to God's laws. In uh, verse 29 of Deuteronomy 12, verse 29 of Deuteronomy 12, when the Lord 
your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their land. Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow after them after they are destroyed from before you and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it, and you shall not add to it nor take away from it. So they were to be a holy people, sanctified, separate from the world, walking a different path, the path of obedience to God's laws. And as we saw earlier, he had told them, in, uh, as we read in Exodus 19, verse 5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. They were to be a different kind of people, a different kind of nation, separate from the world, different which would make them a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. So what is a priest? What, what does a priest do? The primary job of a priest of God is to teach God's commandments, to teach God's way of life, to set an example for others as well as teaching it by words. God told the priest through Moses not to imbibe in alcohol as they served in the temple. As we read in Leviticus 10 and verse 11, Leviticus 10 and verse 11, they were not to imbibe in alcohol when they were serving in the temple so that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Notice what the, the task was. It was for the priests to teach the statutes which God had spoken through, the, through Moses. And when there was a dispute, the Israelites were instructed in how to settle disputes among themselves. In Deuteronomy 17, beginning with verse 8, Deuteronomy 17, verse 8, if a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses, and you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. So notice that the Levites and the priests, and the Levites were, were the priestly tribe. All the priests in, in that system came from the tribe of Levi. And there were also judges appointed in addition to the priests, but they were to judge the people, and they were to make judgments according to the laws that God had given them. And in so doing, they were to teach, to instruct the people and how God wanted them to conduct themselves. And God had told them in Leviticus 18, verse 4, Leviticus 18, verse 4, you shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. 
So the basis on which any judgments were to be made by the priests, the Levites, the judges, were to be made in accordance with God's word, with his laws, commandments that he'd given to them to obey. We read in Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah 8 and verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The law and the testimony being the words that God had given to them to keep. So the priests, the Levites, and the judges in Israel were to judge according to the principles of God's judgments and commandments. As a nation, the Israelite people were to be an example of the righteousness and wisdom of God's laws. We read in Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. Deuteronomy 4, beginning with verse 5, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now notice here that the instructions God was giving was not only for the benefit of the people of Israel, but as they practiced these laws, these principles, other nations would observe them and learn from them. And they would be blessed, and nations would see that. And they would begin to realize how good God's laws are, not just for some people, but for all people. During the reign of Jehoshaphat, one of the kings of uh, Judah, who, as we read in 2 Chronicles 17, verse 4, 2 Chronicles 17, verse 4, who sought God, the God of his father, and walked in his commandments, and not according to the acts of Israel, we read, going on in verse 7, of Jehoshaphat, also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent, sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Asahel, Shemaramoth, Jehonathan, Adoniah, Tobiah, and Tabataniah, the Levites. And with them, Elishma and Jehoram, the priests. So he sent this contingent of leaders to the various places in Judah, including priests and Levites, and it says in verse 9, So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. So this was what a priest was to do. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the land that were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. And some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So notice the example that was set by the kingdom of Judah under the king Jehoshaphat, a righteous king, who instructed the people in the law, in the laws of God, and the other nations around them noticed this, and they feared to make war against Judah. Not only that, they were so impressed by what was happening there that they wanted to ally themselves with that nation. So the example of the kingdom of Judah under a king, judges, and priests faithful to the true God 
not only was a blessing to the people of Judah, but it was an example that impressed the nations around them, which is exactly what God had intended. Ezra was a priest who led some of the people of Judah back to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. And from his day forward, he has been honored as one of the most influential of Jewish leaders. He is credited with helping to restore obedience to the scripture in Jerusalem after the captivity. As we read in Ezra 7 and verse 10, Ezra 7 and verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Again, we see Ezra the priest doing this mission that was assigned to the priests of teaching the law and obeying it, setting an example. Ezra is also credited with translating the Paleo Hebrew script of scripture into the Aramaic square script used in Babylon and the Persian Empire because the uh, Jewish people had spent 70 years in captivity and they had uh, to, a, to a degree forgotten Hebrew, begun speaking Aramaic, which is a similar language, although not identical. And the Aramaic had by that time developed a slightly different script called the square script. And so the scriptures from the time of Ezra forward, instead of being written in the Paleo Hebrew script that had been used prior to that time, they adopted the square script, which is how the Old Testament manuscripts have been copied since that time. Ezra also reestablished and organized the scribal tradition for faithfully copying the scriptures, which is a very detailed procedure that they used to make sure that any errors were, that uh, crept into the scriptures were minimal or non-existent. And some credit him also with finalizing the canon of the Old Testament, which I consider is probably likely, although some so-called Bible scholars reject that notion, but it's quite possible that he did in fact put together the final canon for the Old Testament. And so Ezra, the scribe and priest, assisted by Levites, taught the people of Judah from the scriptures. And we see that in uh, not only in the book of Ezra, but also in the book of Nehemiah, especially chapter 8, where it mentions how Ezra and the Levites taught the people and helped them to understand God's word. We read in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7, Malachi 2 and verse 7, the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and the people should seek the law from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Again, emphasizing that the primary mission, the job of a priest is to help people understand God's word, his laws, to teach his word to, to the people. Now, the Israelite nation, they were to be a nation of priests, as we read. So in that sense, the whole nation would have been acting as priests to the rest of the nations of the earth, had they been faithful to the covenant. And had they been faithful, they could have been used to lead other nations to faith in and obedience to the true God. In other words, God was not looking just at Israel and their welfare, he was, this was a means by which he intended to reach the entire world, to bring the world into a relationship where they would be blessed and obedient to God. Unfortunately, there were a few times in the history of Israel that they as a whole people were faithful and served as witnesses in that regard. Nevertheless, through his working with Israel, the word of God was communicated to mankind and preserved among the 
Israelite peoples. God gave them his laws, and they preserved them as they were instructed to do. And actually, the priests were the ones who were given the specific task of keeping the official copy of the law in the, in the uh, temple or the tabernacle before that. And Paul wrote in Romans 3, Romans 3 and verse 1, What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? people of Israel were to, the men the males were to be circumcised and so he's asking what is the advantage of being an Israelite and he says much in every way chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God or the words of God the the scriptures that's what he's talking about so the word of God was preserved and communicated through the Israelite nation Despite the faithlessness of the people as a whole, there were, it seems, always among the people of Israel some who were faithful. For example, at the time when the faithful were, were being persecuted and killed in Israel, the northern tribes of Israel, where the ten tribes were after they had uh, separated from the people of Judah, the faithful were being persecuted and killed under the leadership of the king and queen of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah thought that he was the only faithful person who, re who remained in the nation. But God spoke to him and said in 1 Kings 19, verse 18, 1 Kings 19, verse 18, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to, ba to Baal or Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So there were still as many as 7,000 people among the people of the northern tribes who were a remnant of faithful people in Israel. And it seems down through at least most of the generations, if not all of them, there was a faithful remnant who continued to serve God and observe his laws. Besides priests, Levites, and judges, God appointed prophets from among the Israelites at various times to bring his message not only to the nations of Israel and Judah, but also to Gentile nations. And so we read prophecies in a number of the books of the Bible, messages directly addressed to Gentile peoples, as in the book of Daniel, also in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. All of these have messages specifically directed, directed to leading Gentile nations. Jonah was sent to deliver a message to Nineveh a leading city of the Assyrian Empire. And there are other examples as well. Paul, who was known as Saul previously, when God chose him to be his messenger and apostle, he was commissioned, as we read in Acts 9 and verse 15, he was commissioned as a chosen vessel to bear my name, that is the name of Jesus Christ, before Gentiles kings and the children of Israel. So even though the nation was largely disobedient to God, God nevertheless worked through the Israelite nation, not only to, to witness to them, but to witness to all the nations of the earth. And Gentiles who were interested in serving God always had an opportunity to become proselytes and have communion with God. Among the Jews at the time of the New Testament, there were a sizable number of Gentiles who had become Jewish proselytes in many nations and were at least ostensibly observing the law, at least to the extent that they understood it. And unfortunately, uh, many of them didn't understand it very well because by that time, a Jewish tradition had corrupted much of what was being taught. But 
God had told the people of Israel as they came out of Egypt in Exodus 12, verse 48. Exodus 12, verse 48, he said, When a stranger dwells with you, that is a foreigner, people of another nation, dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. In other words, if foreigners wanted to join into the uh, services of the temple and tabernacle in, in, in terms of keeping the Passover and other things that required, had certain requirements that had to be met for someone to be eligible, then they could go through those procedures necessary to meet those requirements and join in, be a part of the nation of Israel. Through the prophet Isaiah, God said, as we read in Isaiah 56, beginning with verse 6, Isaiah 56 and verse 6, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So again, Israel was to be a beacon of light in a dark world. And people who were attracted to that, no matter where they came from or what their background was, were invited as long as they were willing to submit themselves to God's laws and obey them. So God kept his promises concerning their descendants to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he gave them the land. He blessed them with abundance. But God knew beforehand that Israel was a carnal nation and that they would not be faithful to the covenant, and he would have to deal with them as he had dealt with the Canaanites. And they would become an example, not in a positive way, but in a negative way, by having God's wrath poured out upon them for their grievous sins, because God is no respecter of persons. Leaders and people of Israel and Judah, after having been recipients of God's blessings, became so degenerate and sinful that they exceeded the Canaanites and Sodomites in their wickedness. In 2 Kings 21, 2 Kings 21 and verse 1, we read, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed and he raised up altars for Baal, the false god of the Canaanites, and made a wooden image as Ahab the king of Israel had done and he worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So not only was he worshiping Baal, but numerous other false gods as well. And then it says he made his son pass through the fire, practice soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So he was practicing all sorts of demonic, evil practices that God had condemned and forbade the Israelites to practice because they are consorting with Satan and the demons. And goes on to say he set a, even set a carved image of Asherah which was a female goddess, consort of Baal, that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David, to Solomon his, Solomon his son, 
in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies." because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And so because of their iniquity, God said of some among the people of Judah, as we're reading Jeremiah 19, beginning with verse 3, Jeremiah 19, verse 3, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle, because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place, because they have burned incense in it to other gods and whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known and have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. They were practicing murder. They were practicing ritual murder, murdering their own children, spilling their blood, as well as the blood of others who were innocent, as well as all the other abominations that were mentioned here. So they were not only committing the sins of the Canaanites, they were doing even worse things, which is not something easy to do, in a sense. So they were unfaithful, and they were cast off. Paul wrote in Romans 3, beginning in verse 3, this is from the English Standard Version, Romans 3, beginning in verse 3, what if some were unfaithful. What if some were unfaithful? Speaking of the Israelites. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? So Israel, were, they were given the opportunity as a people to be a kingdom of priests, to teach God's laws to the nations by obeying it, by setting an example, and then by teaching them and instructing them in how to obey God if they were inclined to do so. But they did not do that. By and large, they rebelled against God. And so they were objects of God's wrath. And they became an example in that way of God's righteousness. It says, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, God showed his righteousness First of all, in giving to Israel the laws for them to obey and blessing them. But when they turned and refused to obey, then he showed his righteousness by punishing them and showing them that 
that path is not a path that is acceptable to him, no matter who is walking in it. God's rejection of Israel and Judah for their rebellion and sins is a lesson not only for them, but for all the nations of the earth, and it's recorded in the Bible for that purpose. The wrath of God upon them is a testimony to God's righteousness and to his justice. But God would far prefer to have it, to have his righteousness demonstrated in a different way. God intended for Israel to be a blessing to mankind. God told Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, Genesis 12, verse 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so these blessings that were enumerated, and, and there's uh, considerable detail in various prophecies of how God would bless the people, the nations of Israel, the nations that sprang out of Israel, and those blessings were given. Later they were taken away. But they have been especially poured out upon the Israelitish peoples in the modern age. And the nations that are descended from the, the tribes of Israel have been blessed abundantly, as was prophesied in Genesis 49 and elsewhere that they would be so blessed in the end time. And it is God who has blessed them and through their blessings has also blessed other nations all over the world. It's God who made possible largely through the Israelitish nations modern technological progress that has improved the lives of people all over the world. The leaders in the in the uh, scientific revolution and the industrial revolution were primarily Great Britain and the United States, Israelitish nations, having sprung from the peoples of Israel. And other nations have also contributed. Not all of the contributions were made by Israelite nations, but they have been the leaders in the various, as I said, developments that have improved the lives of people all over the world. Some of my aunts and uncles and, and parents grew up in very primitive dwellings. My mother, for example, grew up in a, in a um, very small house that her father had built in the uh, prairie in western Oklahoma and I believe there were about eight children there all together who grew up in that house, or at least partly grew up in it. And they had an outhouse for a toilet. They did not have indoor plumbing. Even uh, one of my uncles who later lived there was still living out in the country in a house with an outhouse. They did not have the conveniences that we take for granted in today's world because of the things that have been made possible through the blessings that God has poured out on our people, especially in the last couple of generations. And those blessings have spilled over into other nations who have similarly adopted uh, some of those conveniences. Many billions of dollars of famine relief and other types of assistance have given, been given to various nations by Great Britain and the United States in their times of greatest prosperity. So God blessed Israel as he promised, and those blessings have, have helped people in various ways, not just these ways I've mentioned, but other ways in uh, many parts of the world. But the greatest blessing is through another avenue. It was through the descendants of Abraham that the promise of the Messiah was to come. And from there, it was to come through the tribe of Judah and through the house of David. And so Jesus, the Messiah, was born at, at the appropriate time. And when that occurred, an angel appeared to shepherds in a field 
nearby and said to them, as we read in Luke 2 and verse 11, Luke 2 and verse 11, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ is the uh, Greek version of the uh, Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. It means Messiah, the anointed one, the king, and the savior who is to come for the salvation of the world. Jesus Christ came and he lived an exemplary life and he suffered and he died that all people might have an opportunity to be granted eternal life. He was the son of God. He was God who in some miraculous way that we don't understand was changed into a human being and had his seed planted in the womb of Mary who gave birth to him as a human being. And so God lived in the flesh for a period of time. And it says in John 3 and verse 16, John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, God has had ample reason to condemn the world. And in fact, he did wipe out the entirety of humanity on one occasion, except for eight people. But God, God's purpose is not to be fulfilled in destroying all of humanity, it is to be fulfilled in the salvation of mankind. And that's why Jesus Christ came, to make that possible. Jesus said to the Jews of his day, Matthew 21, verse 43, Matthew 21 and verse 43, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it because the people of Israel and Judah had failed to accomplish the purpose for which God had chosen them to begin with. They had failed to set a righteous example for the world. And so God chose another nation, a spiritual nation, to bear witness to the world. And that spiritual nation is the church that Jesus Christ established after he was resurrected. And it's now the job of the church to set the example, the church being called spiritual Israel in the sixth chapter of Galatians. This church's job to set the example to be the teachers pending the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 we read, but you are a chosen generation, he's writing to the church, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So as far as being a testimony to the world in the way that God wanted to the people of Israel to be originally, that job has been transferred to the spiritual nation of Israel, which is the church. And that nation is composed of people from various lines of descent, various families of the earth who have been converted, received God's spirit. The latter-day physical descendants of Israel, which includes not only the Jewish nation and people, but also many in Great Britain, British descended peoples elsewhere in the United States and some other peoples primarily in Western Europe who have been the recipients of material blessings in the latter days unmatched in history. Yet these nations have continued to rebel against God as Israel has done historically. And they have and are becoming increasingly hostile to any semblance of obedience to God's commandments. For them, there is coming a time of tribulation. 
is called the Great Tribulation. As we read in Matthew 24, beginning with verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. This will happen just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7, Jeremiah 30 and verse 7, it says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The, tri the great tribulation will fall primarily upon the nations of Israel, the modern peoples, the modern descendants of Israel. And they will be defeated by their enemies and taken into captivity and subjected to a tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world. And the church also will suffer in that same tribulation because the church too will be a target for Satan, the devil, and the people that he's using to attempt to destroy Israel and really to destroy mankind. After that period is over, Jesus Christ is going to return to the earth to establish his rule over the earth on the throne of David. As we read in Luke 1, beginning with verse 32, Luke 1, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end the people of Israel and Judah at that time will be delivered out of a brutal captivity and they will be restored to their homeland in Palestine we read in Jeremiah 31 beginning with verse 31 Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 behold the days are coming says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So upon his return, Jesus Christ is going to establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And they will have his laws planted in their hearts and minds. They will receive his spirit. And they will be obedient to his word. And then Israel will fulfill its destiny physically as a model nation for the rest of the world. And all nations will seek the Lord God of Israel, who is the creator of all mankind. As we read in Isaiah 2, beginning in verse 2, Isaiah 2 and verse 2, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So from the nation of Israel from Jerusalem will go forth God's word to all the world, to all nations. And we read in Zechariah 8, verse 22, Zechariah 8, verse 22, yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. No people on earth have been persecuted more or over a longer period of time than the Jewish people. But they're going to be restored 
when Christ comes and other nations will see that God is working with the people of Israel and Judah and they'll want to be included in that, serving the true God, the creator God. And it tells us in Joel chapter 2 that God's spirit will be poured out on all flesh. So through Israel, when they are converted, God will reach out to all nations. And that's ultimately why God chose Israel. So that they and the people of every nation on earth might eventually enter into saving relationship with God and fulfill the destiny for which God created mankind. That is to become sons of God in his eternal kingdom.